It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Don't forget to check out our corporate career boost recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. This is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball. I'm an industrial organizational psychology consultant. Seabock.com is the website. You can also visit my website at turnboot.com. That is turnboot.com. Today is part four as we peruse a LinkedIn article entitled 10 Shockingly Common Workplace Challenges Impacting Your Business, where surprisingly, the author of the article tells what the challenges are, but doesn't offer any insight on how to fix those challenges. So this is where we come in. Previously in part one, two, and three, we explored communication or lack thereof, staying engaged and motivated, project management and organization. Today, we're going to start off with staff attitudes and hierarchy bureaucracy. As you know, I like to look at things a little differently and see what we can do, new things that haven't been done with scientific tinge to them and also with plenty of insight from a lot of experience. So staff attitudes and hierarchy. The author proceeds with Quote, either we've had the misfortune of working alongside a disgruntled colleague that affects the mood and morale of the team, or we've struggled with systems that make it a challenge to complete a task because of all the red tape. Still quoting, most employees say a balance between having clearly defined management procedures and allowing staff to be autonomous and to take ownership of their roles would improve attitudes and effectiveness. People have a natural need to be able to have a sense of personal identity and independence. How many of you out there lost a little or a lot of who you are after even six months at the job you're working in now, at the company you're working in now? If you're still six months, you might be on that honeymoon phase. But those of you who have been in your organization for five, ten years and are looking for a way out, I'm guessing who you wanted to be and who you've become you might have had a, some divergent paths there. Conley and Zigrami say it perfectly. Every day, the spirits of millions of employees die at the front step of their workplace. It's true. People come to work. People get a job. People get hired because they have something to offer. And a lot of times, that person who, who has plenty of experience, plenty of insight, They get to work and then they're told how to do things and what to do. Totally kills that spirit. You get your average group of 15 people, you're looking at centuries, 400 centuries on average of of work experience. That's a lot to pull from. Let's say I'm the CEO of of a startup company. Do I want people to come with all these passions and talents and ideas and not share them and not use them. No, 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 no. I'm hiring these people for a reason. But somewhere along the way, these companies get so big or get so stuck in ways that the reason they hire people goes out the door. How many of you are in the job hunt right now? 
and you apply for jobs that require X number of years experience, education, this and that. But then when you either go to the job interview or let's say you got hired for this job and you want to speak of your experience or, you know, want to talk about what you learned in school, all this money you paid for postgrad, the job required you to have master's degree, in some cases a PhD, and you want to bring some of that into the workplace, and they don't want to hear it, you might think, okay, then why did you have this as a requirement if you don't want to know anything? So yes, we can have a separate conversation of bridging the gap between scholar and practitioner, right? What you learned, theory-based, versus application in the corporate world. I get it. I, I get the big part of, of corporate world where cringe when they hear you know research and theory. I, I get it because the first thought is, well, this is the real world. Okay, it's the real world. But at some point, companies who are cringing at this, would it be a ridiculous idea to find out what the science says and what these researchers who write, maybe they've never seen the inside of a workplace in their entire lives. Maybe they've never walked on the floor of a factory, gone in the back kitchen of a restaurant, or walked into a corporate building. Maybe so, but they still study these things with real people. And it's up to the people that you are hiring with these degrees to be able to take that and to apply it. So to say, I don't want to hear anything about your education and the stuff you've learned, you're missing out on a lot. You don't have to engage in philosophic conversations. But these people who even straight out of a postgraduate degree, they're, they're ready. And when you have people that are ready to jump in, let them jump in. Back to individual identity. Sometimes I get off track a little bit on a tangent. I get a little passionate about this stuff. People bring certain passions. People can also be proud of their passions and their special talents and what they're best at at work. If you're leading a team and you think that someone's personal hobbies has nothing to do with the workplace, you are dead wrong. Here's why. I'm not saying that you have to get to know your employee on a personal level and become friends and be interested in their hobby. No, I'm saying you have to know what their hobbies are and you have to be able to make a parallel with what they're doing in the workplace. Because I guarantee you, whatever their hobby is, if they're passionate about something to spend time, their personal time on it, they're probably really good at it. What does that hobby involve? Does it involve some kind of analysis? Does it involve some kind of creativity? that could be helpful with one of your projects? Does it involve something that you could help them to envision while they're at work? This works great with frontline workers who are coming to these organizations, especially hospitality for summer jobs. You know, you've got your individuals that are still in high school, that are still in college or recently graduated, or never went to, or didn't complete high school. They still have, have passions and they still have things that can help bring pull them along. If you've got that person that says, I'm just here for a summer job or my parents made me get a job, find out what they enjoy. Find out what they're good at. Find out what are their pats, pats, P-A-T-S, passions, ambitions, and talents. By the way, side note, for more on this, turnboot.com or cbock.com, check out a blog I wrote. Title, it says passions, ambitions, and talents. I can't remember what it's called, but check that article out. Real life examples in that one about fishing and cutting pineapples. It's pretty cool. So yes, it's important 
to help people to keep their sense of identity because when they can take that sense of passion and identity from their home and bring it into the workplace, it helps with motivation in the workplace. No, I don't mean they have to sit and waste time talking about their passions and hobbies. There's a way to do it. Look, check out the blog. This is not a ploy to get you to read my blog by all means. But it's all there. It's all there. There's more on that. And now that I think about it, I've also got some guides up on turnbook.com. They're free uh, e-guides that go into more detail about passions, ambitions, and talents and what to do. So go check out the free ebooks I have on turnboot.com. I just don't want to take up too much time here with that. There's resources out there. So in terms of autonomy, this, it, it, it goes along the same line. So in the workplace, you have people that are highly motivated and highly skilled. You also have people that are highly motivated, but low skilled. You also have low motivated, high skilled people, and you have low motivated, low skilled people. Each of those different groups are going to want a different level of autonomy. And it's up to you as a good coworker or somebody leading that team to be able to help identify who are the people that want the most autonomy? Who are the people that can use the most autonomy? If you are a micromanager, stop. Just stop. Because if you're managing, it means you're leading. And if you're leading, it means you should be good at leading and not good at the task that you used to be good at. It means that you need to focus on the people and let your people focus on the task. They're hired to do the job. Let them learn. Let them fly. They've got talent. On that note, if you're a micromanager and you're dealing with highly motivated, highly skilled individuals, you are going to fail as a leader if you are trying to micromanage them. Look at it this way. Think about four highly motivated, highly skilled members of a team that have to design the world's safest child car seat. The group consists of product designer, engineer, scientist, whatever the important roles are to design a, a great car seat. Now, if these are all complete experts in their fields and they've also lost someone who has died in a car accident from a faulty car seat, they're also going to be highly motivated. You do not need to micromanage this group. Think about how you are engaging with your team. Are they highly motivated and highly skilled? And you think you're rolling up your sleeves to show that I'll get my hands dirty with you. I'm a good leader. But they think, eh, person doesn't trust us. Always in our business. Awareness is key. Are you the kind of leader who's hands off and they're all going to do great, yet you're dealing with low skilled, low motivated people? You're going to have to roll your sleeves up a little bit. Sometimes you just ask the question. There are some people that say, yes, I want a leader who gets in, who stays late with us, who is able to get their hands dirty and is willing to help us along the way. Just ask the question. Say, hey, is that the kind of leader you need? You will get answers. You will get answers. And by the way, don't ask yes or no questions. Ask what and how questions. Yes or no questions puts it back in your court and then leaves it up to you to continue the conversation. So when you ask these questions of people, ask how and what questions, find out. It's really easy to do, but it's really hard to do to ask people questions. It makes us feel vulnerable, but it makes us feel vulnerable the first time. The second time makes us feel kind of vulnerable. The third time, now it's normal. The weirdness factor is gone. Understand that the people 
that you have on your team, whether you're a coworker, and believe me, everyone has a leadership role, right? You don't have to be named supervisor, named director, named VP to be in a leadership role. If you're on a team, you have a leadership role with your team in some area. So no matter what your leadership role, know the passions, ambitions, talents, and bests at that your team members have. Know what, ask them, hey, what did you talk about during your interview, during your first interviews? If you weren't the hiring manager, ask them what, take them back to that time. What did they talk about? What were they passionate about then? Is it still what they're passionate about? Was their passion stepped on along the way and then you came along? And now it's up to you to bring that back. Know what drives them. Take bits and pieces of that and parallel that to tasks and projects in the workplace. Next, to continue summarizing what we've talked about during this 15 to 20 minutes, know who requires more autonomy on your workforce and who requires a little more direction, not micromanaging. If you want someone to do a good job, you can't supervise their ways. You can supervise them as an individual. So know those two things. Lastly, be an advocate every morning before you go to work or every afternoon before you go to work or every evening before you go to work. Think tonight, today, I'm going to be an advocate for my employees. This issue of red tape can be challenging. Correct that if you're leading a team, a lot of your employees will not know the red tape that you have to jump through, the struggles that you have as a VP, CEO, director, manager, supervisor. You've got a lot of weight on your shoulders. Do they need to know? No, they don't need to know. Know that you are an advocate for them and this is part of being in a leadership role. Let them feel like you're an advocate. Let them understand that you have their best interest at heart and you will try to cut as much as that red tape as you possibly can. They'll know that there will be things that you are not able to do, roadblocks you won't be able to move, but they'll be okay with it because they'll know that you're an advocate. This is part four of how to overcome common workplace challenges. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.